0: Now I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three. Last week I only made it through two thirds of my sermon, and uh, it's probably was a good thing because I think I can make this part of the sermon last about two or three days. <laughs> There's a lot of things to talk about here. I want to talk to you about the atoning sacrifice. The atoning sacrifice. I want you to notice something in verse twenty. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight, that's God's sight, by observing the law. No one, nobody, anywhere, anytime, no one. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law makes us aware of our true condition. Our true condition, not in comparison with other people, but according to God's unwavering standard of what's right and what's wrong. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a gunsmith. That was what I wanted to do. You know, so you didn't have to, it didn't seem like you had to go to college for that kind of thing, so I wanted to be a gunsmith, so... (laughs) So when I dropped out of school in seventh grade to be a gunsmith... (laughs) I did what all wise people do: is I, I enrolled in a correspondence course from Belly from uh, Foley Bell'saw, gunsmithing course. It cost me all the five hundred and like sixty odd dollars. Small fortune to a sixteen-year-old kid. So I took this gunsmithing course, you know, and answered all the questions, you know, and you know, sent mail my lessons in. They would send it back, and they give me an A, or they just gave me the. After a while, it felt like they were just stamping or rubber stamping them. (laughs) They weren't really giving me a lot of feedback. And so I got my little gunsmithing uh, diploma. I don't even know where it's at. I don't even know where it's at. But I remember getting it because I wanted to be a gunsmith. So I thought, well, you know, i got to get this gunsmith business going. So I went out into the garage, and I went went, went to my own guns. I had a gun, a .22 rifle that I bought. I thought I'm going to make some modifications of this, you know, I'm going to break out, the, <laughs> break out the gunsmithing screwdrivers, and I decided to shorten the barrel on it, so I got a hacksaw, and I shortened the barrel, and um, I tried to crown the end of the barrel, you know, the, the tip of it, and then I thought, well, I got this shortened barrel, and my, really, it made my 22 rifle a lot louder. <laughs> In theory, it's supposed to make the bullet go faster, too. I'd read an article about that. Then I, got, then I thought, well, i got to put a scope on it. I put a scope on it, and I, I got tired of shooting with a scope, and I thought, you know, I need to put a front sight on that. So have you ever tried to cut a notch on the front of a, a round steel barrel? I, tried, I followed all the instructions, and I made my little notch, made my little cuts, you know, just right and measured it all, and made a notch in that barrel. And When I stuck my front sight in there, the front sight just went, fell right out the other side. I was trying to make that little notch and I just couldn't get it. So I went into Walmart to the hardware department and got some stuff called JB weld. <laughs> and I JB welded that front sight on that 22 rifle. And in order to hit a squirrel, you had to aim six inches left and a foot up. <laughs> It was at that moment I realized that I am not a finished person. I can't do fine, fine work. I'm not a detail-oriented person. And so if you do something wonderful, my standard is one thing, but somebody who uh, you know, has precision skills, it's very different. I've been married to Valerie for you know a long time, and Valerie and I are kind of from these two different worlds. I'm the good enough world. She's the got-to-be-right world. Just when you bring these two things together. Well, we don't, there is not a different standard for judging what sinfulness is. It's God's standard and no other. The law doesn't change. The law of God that reveals unrighteousness is the same for you and me in northern Michigan. It's for the folks in Detroit. It's for the folks in California. It's for those men and women in every primitive country and every primitive culture in the world. It's God's law. And God's law reveals that all of us alike. All of us alike are equally unrighteous before God. All of us alike. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Even the very best person you can imagine. No one will be made righteous before God by the law. I want you to notice this word here in verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous. God will never look at anything that you have done. And say, you are righteous. You could, think, you, could, you could say this like this. No one will be declared just before God. He will not look at you based on your lifestyle and say, you are just. You are just right for heaven. He'll never say that. That's what the Bible says over and over. There's an impossibility at work here. No one will be declared righteous in his sight. It's a hopeless text, verse 20. It's hopeless. Nothing we can do. No discipline. No effort. There's nothing we can do here. But thanks be to God that chapter 3 doesn't end with verse 20. Yeah, verse 21 has that beautiful beautiful conjunction. but, But now, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. There is a righteousness, there is an acceptability, a justness that comes from God. God has brought it into the world. It's been made known to us by God. This is special revelation. This is something that God has revealed. God has revealed the law, and God has also revealed that there is only one way to be righteous, and it's apart from the law, without without resting upon the law, or depending on the law. There is a righteousness that comes apart from the law it's been it's been made known been known but made known by God it is it is what the law and the prophets testify because the gospel the good news of salvation through faith is not just in the new testament it's in the old testament as well it's genesis chapter 15 verse number 6 where the bible says abraham believed god and it was reckoned to him it was credited to him for righteousness when we roll into genesis to when we Roll into Romans chapter 4. That's going to be the exact example that Paul uses to talk to us about justification by faith. He's going to use Abraham who believed God's message and was declared righteous because of his belief. This righteousness is apart from the law. It's not connected to the law. This is one of the big arguments of early Christianity is where the apostles have to refute this error constantly of working your way into God's good graces, working your way into heaven. It cannot be done. It can only be achieved. you only be saved by faith in God. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This righteousness that's apart from the law comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the word faith comes from a Greek word which means to entrust oneself to. To entrust oneself to. Faith. I'm entrusting myself to someone else. Believe. Believe. Entrusting yourself to someone. Now, how many of you here are sitting down? Anybody? It's everybody. Before you sat down in that chair, did any of you give that chair a close examination? Did you kick the legs to be sure they're good? Did you give it a shake? Did you give it a visual examination? Just a cursory examination of any kind. Probably not. Maybe the only thing you looked for was to be sure there wasn't any gum in the seat. Just be sure there's a clean spot to sit. If you're like me, you're always watching for glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I got four or five pairs of glasses and I'm always laying them down someplace and last thing I'm going to do is sit on your glasses but you, you, didn't, you didn't examine that chair you just sat down in it you entrusted yourself to that chair and there you are resting suspended between heaven and earth on a chair that you entrusted yourself to you're depending on that chair you're resting in that chair this is what Jesus does We entrust ourselves. we believe in him, we put our faith in him, our confidence in him, we trust in him to take us through this life and into the heavenly realm. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It is to all who believe. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. Now notice, there is no difference. There is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no difference. My friends, we have to work against this idea that, you know, they need the gospel. I don't need the gospel. They need the gospel more than me because they're really bad people. If that is your thinking about yourself, if you think you are a decent dude or dudette, And you're going to get to heaven because of your decency or they needed saving more than you did. Jesus didn't have to do quite as much for you as he had to do for them. You have a problem. And your problem is self-righteousness. You need salvation. You need this righteousness just as bad as anyone else. Go down to some area of town where, where it's obvious that people are in the grip of sinful addictions, alcohol and drugs. Sex. And they're just in the in the bondage, in bondage to it. Maybe people you work with who you know that way, and you say, they need Jesus. They do, but so do you. So do preachers and deacons and scholars and the diligent, hardworking people. We all need this righteousness because no one will be declared righteous by the deeds of the law. You can only be declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. How is it that our sins can be taken care of? How is it that our sin debt can be satisfied? Only by Jesus. Notice in this text, justified freely by his grace. Freely. It's something that's given to you without cost to you. You, Martin Luther said it like this, the only thing man contributes to his own salvation is the sin that he commits that makes His salvation required. Through, justified freely. Now notice these next three words, by His grace. By His grace. Now, grace is more than a dispensation. It's more than an attitude. It's more than than a period of time. Grace is a power. Have you ever sang the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound? That saved a wretch like me. When John Newton wrote those words, he was trying to describe the power of grace. Grace is a power that's unfolded. It's opened up on you. When God's grace comes upon you, it's a power that affects you deeply. It changes you. It does something to you. It stirs you. It opens your eyes. It regenerates you. It, it does a lot of things to you. It's a power. His grace comes upon you. This, great, this grace is a little bit distinguishing too. It's a distinguishing element to it. Because I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if there were people in this room right now Who God's grace has touched them deeply, and they've been born again, their faith is in Christ, they're repenting of their sins all the time, they're wanting to live for Him and serve Him, and they want to worship Him and and give their whole life to Him. Then I would, and there are probably other people here who are already thinking, how much longer is this sermon going to go on? What's the difference? I'm going to tell you what the difference is. It's grace. It's grace. Grace is a power. It's a distinguishing power, something over which we have no control. But when you do come to faith in Christ, it's going to be because God's grace has exploded on you. Because His grace has smacked you upside the head and shown you what you are. Grace. Justified through His grace. What causes God to do this? The redemption that has come by Christ Jesus. Redemption. This word redemption is a nice word. It means to buy back, to redeem, to purchase, to regather. Redemption. How does this redemption take place? Notice verse 25. God presented him, that's Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. This is is a striking statement. Jesus died on the cross because God the Father presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. God the Father chose to offer Jesus on the cross to redeem sinners to pay for sinners sins to pay for our crimes we all know john 3:16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life god chose to send jesus now this this is an inter- it's all through the scriptures in genesis chapter number 3 You have the fall of man. Adam and Eve, they sin against God, and they they run away from God. They're hiding from God, and God comes to them. And God offers an animal in their place. God offers a sacrifice. The very first sacrifice for sin was offered by God himself. And my friends, the last sacrifice for sins was also offered by God himself at Calvary. Jesus is the Lamb who has come to take away the sin of all who believe in him. Jesus is the one. He's the Lamb offered. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. This word atonement is an interesting word. To atone for sins. Have you ever gotten in trouble at work or with your, or with your wife or something like that? I might have gotten in trouble with my wife a time or two. And you have to go down and atone for your sins. You ever had that kind of idea, i got to go down here and atone for to, i gotta, I got to suffer the consequences here. i got to pay the price. If you're, if you're like me, maybe you popped off your mouth a time or two when you shouldn't have. Sometimes, though. <laughs> anyway. And, and something has to happen to restore their relationship. Atonement. Now, in our translation here, it has this word atonement. The bringing together. It's the setting, it's the the act that sets aside wrath. And In older translations, and even some of the newer ones, it has a word here, it's called propitiation. It means it's, it's a person who bears the wrath that's due another. It's somebody suffering in our place. Jesus Christ suffering in your place on the cross. Jesus Christ being crushed by the judging hand of God for your sins. Dying in your place, shedding His blood for you to blot out your sins. That's the only way you can have peace with God. The only way you can have reconciliation with God. Now look at your copy of God's Word. If you have the word atonement, look at the three words, the, not the three words, but... The three parts. The sacrifice of at one William Tyndale invented this word atonement. William Tyndale invented this atonement because he was trying to put into English a word that described what man is, what it's like when man and God are brought together. They're brought together in one. They're brought together. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now I want you to listen to this reading. This is about husbands and wives. Sort of. Ephesians 5.31 For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and shall be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. These two persons are becoming one in identity. One flesh. Now notice what Paul says. This is a profound mystery. But I am speaking about Christ and the church being brought together in oneness with God. Like a man and a woman come together and they're one now. Their identity is all wrapped up in each other. When I was pastoring in Texas, I, it was a, I didn't have to help count the offerings very often, but in that church, I did have to count the, help count the offerings periodically. And we had a deacon in the church. His name was Scotty Bristow. And you know, we were in there, me and Randy, we're in there, Randy, not Randy Enos, <laughs> a different Randy. We were counting the offerings, and uh, we were looking at the checks. And his check said, Mr. Scotty Bristow and Mrs. Scotty Bristow. I was like, what in the world? His wife is named Anne, Ann Bristow. But there it was on, on the check, Mr. Scotty Bristow, Mrs. Scotty Bristow. I'd never seen a check like that. Valerie and I's checks... Let's say Terry Basham and Valerie Basham. Does anybody here have their check Mr. and Mrs., just, just the man's name? See, it, it, it's weird, isn't it? It was mind-blowing to me. It struck me so hard that, you know, the next time I saw Scotty at church on Wednesday night, I said, Scotty, I was counting the offering, and he said, you count the offering? I said, I said, why does it say Mr. Scotty Bristow and Mrs. Scotty Bristow on there? He said, because she's my wife, we're one flesh. We're one person, one identity. She is me and I am her. And I thought, man, you Texans are nuts. But I didn't even think that was legal. But that but that was true. Their identity is all wrapped up in each other. He is Scotty Bristow, and she is Scotty Bristow. They're one flesh, one identity. In in Ephesians, it says that Christ and his people are one. We've been brought together through his blood. Notice, it's the sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Now, just a plain reading of this, it seems kind of weird. Listen to the way it sounds. God presented himself as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Whose faith is this? This is the question I ask myself. Whose faith is this? Does God have faith in the blood of Christ? This is a good question. Does God have confidence in the blood of Christ? I think, sure. John Gill, he says, it's the believer's faith. We put our faith in his blood. And I think that's probably the right way to think about it, although it reads a little odd to me. Faith in His blood. Put your faith in His blood that's shed for you. Why did God do this? Look at the next verse. He did this to demonstrate His justice. God offered Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement to demonstrate His justice? Because in in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in him. What is this talking about? God, because he is good and just, cannot just overlook sins. He cannot just let them pass by. A sin has to be paid for. Has to be paid for. If God doesn't judge sin, God is not righteous. It has to be paid for. So, because God is just and sins must be paid for, and because God knows that sinners cannot pay for their own sins and live, because the wages of sin is death, this is the, what the sacrificial system of the Old Testament is about. Every time a sin is committed, have you read the Old Testament and seen that even for the smallest kind of infractions, blood was required? It's incredible. Sins must be paid for. So God sends Jesus into the world to pay for the sins of those who believe in him. This shows his justice. He can't just pass them over. He can't just ignore them or pretend they never happened. Justice demands consequences. You say, what does this mean? He has uh, left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. I mean, he hasn't punished sins before? In an actual sense, that's true. Jesus had to come and die at a certain time. It was at this time that sins are paid for actually and completely. So what about Old Testament people? Did they get to go, did, Could they go to heaven? Jesus hadn't died yet. Could they go to heaven? They did go to heaven eventually. But they could do that and they could die with faith and confidence because the scripture says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So that as soon as God decided to save people through Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the one, Jesus is already as good as dead. Because he'd already said, I'll take care of it, I'll be the atoning Lamb. This is kind of a, this is, you know. Preachers have silly conversations, don't they? Thanks for not agreeing with me. That's very, that's very kind of you. As you think about, is there time in eternity? Is there time, in, is there chronology in eternity? Is there a first, second, third in eternity? Or is everything always right now? You'll get in these arguments about lapsarianism, superlapsarian, infralapsarian, and lapsarianism. All the, all these weird things that preachers talk about that mean nothing to most of us. But when when Jesus said when it says that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain for the foundation of the world it doesn't mean Jesus died at the foundation of the world. It means that he was as good as slain. He as good as slain, and and because he was going to down the cross because he was as good as slain, God can treat people as if they'd already been redeemed. This is what Paul seems to be talking about. But now there comes a time when there has to be an actual redemption, an actual death, actual bloodshed for actual sins. He does this to demonstrate his justice. This is the best part. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Because God is just And because he has paid for the sins committed by people, those who believe in Jesus can be justified. Because the blood has been shed, because redemption has been made, he can justify those who have faith in Jesus. This word justify appears several times here. It's a a legal term. It's a forensic term. Declared innocent. Now, you remember years ago when uh, O.J. Simpson was on trial for killing his uh, wife and ex—I think ex, maybe—I don't remember if they were married. Ex-wife and her boyfriend, Ron Goldman, maybe. And O.J. Simpson was on trial for killing him. Remember, remember the glove? If it doesn't fit, you gotta what? You gotta quit. Everybody in the whole world is like, he did it. But then when the jury came back, what did the jury say? What did they say? Not guilty. He walked out of there a free man. How come they couldn't lay a finger on him? Because he had been declared innocent. Been declared innocent. They spoke spoke with the highest authority. Innocent. And if they found a videotape of him doing the dastardly deed later, they couldn't even bring him back and try him again because he'd been declared innocent. And when you put your faith in Jesus, my friend, God the Father declares you innocent, declares you just. You are just. And he imputes. and this is getting to chapter 4, but when you put your faith in Jesus, God imputes to you the righteousness of Christ Himself. Both His passive and active obedience are all given to you. All given to you. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Let's look at these last four verses and we'll, we'll be done, all right? So here are these natural questions. Paul says So where then is boasting? Those who would boast in their goodness, and their righteousness, where's the boasting? It's excluded. No one can boast because you're only saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No. But on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from, From observing the law. Keeping the law has nothing at all to do with you being saved from judgment. Has nothing to do with it. You are not saved by law keeping. You are saved by faith in Jesus. By trusting in him. Not the law. You say, why do you have to, we know this. I've been a Baptist my whole life, and I know Baptists who believe. And you guys might not all be Baptists, though. But I'm just speaking about Baptist people because I know I've been a Baptist my whole life, Baptist born and Baptist, Baptist born and Bra- Baptist, born, Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. <laughs> And I and I and I've pastored people, and I'm preaching the same kind of sermon to people who are in the church, and have them say, "Well, I think I have you know, I gotta be good to get to heaven." You're not saved by being good. You're saved by faith in Jesus, and this is a real comfort to us. You know why it is? Because very rarely are we really good. Very rarely are we really good. I live with Terry Basham. I know what rolls through my mind. I know what I would do if I could get away with it. You know what I'm saying? I talked to somebody one time and they said, I never want to kill anybody in my whole life. And I said, wait. Just wait. <laughs> I know what I am. And I know how 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 I fall short. Constantly. But my standing with God is not resting upon my performance. It's resting upon the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's my surety. He's my confidence. All my trust is in him and his blood. It's washed me and cleansed me from my sins. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the law. Then Paul jumps back to his argument about the Jews and Gentiles. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Another question about the law. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is not God setting apart the law and saying the law has no use here. The law shows our unrighteousness. And because it is God's law, God works under the law and he justifies people. The law is strong. It is powerful in what it's meant to do to reveal unrighteousness, to make us conscious of our sin. And by putting our faith in Jesus, we are upholding the law. We are validating the law. Say the law is true. We need Christ. Now, this is my message to you this morning. God has presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Now, I want you to listen carefully. I want you to think about this for yourself, not for anybody else, just for yourself. Is your faith in Christ right now to save you and take you to heaven? Are you trusting in him and nothing else? Are you trusting in him and nothing else? is your confidence in His shed blood? Is that where it's at? If it's not, I beg you in God's name, put your faith in Jesus. call upon him to save you. If you know you're a sinner, call upon him, look to him. trust in him. Put your faith in him. Romans 10:13 says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, calling upon him. If we were down here by the river, and I fell in the river, and I saw you walking on the bank, I realize I'm drowning, I can't save myself, I'm trying to get out of that cold, vicious water, and I see you on the shoreline, I'm going to call out to you. If I know your name, I'm going to call out your name. If I don't know your name, I'm going to call out, help me. Jesus is the Savior of sinners, only sinners. And through his blood, you can be reconciled and brought into fellowship with God. You may be made at one with him, only through Christ. There's no other way. We maintain that a man is justified apart from the works of the law. This is good news, amen? It's good news. Let's pray together. Dear precious Lord, I do not know what caused you to love us so. And even after you've saved us, you keep us. Truly the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all sin. We give thanks to you for it. In Christ's precious name, amen.